Good morning. What a day. Groundhog Day. Super Bowl Sunday. The, well, I'd like to do a little poll. How many for the Chiefs? Anybody? Quite a few. How many for the 49ers? Not quite as many. How many don't care? Yeah. That's... We'll have a little do at our house with some family, but I really don't care. Now, if it were the Packers, I'd care. If it were the Eagles, I'd care, but um, I'm not there. Um, the Sound of Silence. So it's an old song by Simon and Garfunkel. That's the title to this morning. But it's meant to evoke some things that silences speak, don't they? I don't know how God gets your attention. You heard Tina tell a story of how God got her attention. And often it's not exactly what we would have preferred. Now sometimes, maybe, Moses has a burning bush and it gets his attention. Pharaoh has ten plagues and they're no fun. God never did get his attention. King David had the prophet... Nathan, come and confront him in his sin and point the finger, so to speak. You, King David, are the man that sinned. Uh, project that first verse from Revelation chapter 8, verse 1, if you would, please. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Silence in heaven. I don't know that I think of heaven as a place of silence. Now, it's contained. It's not lengthy. But I wonder what this is supposed to suggest. I suspect it's everybody holding their breath. What's going to happen? What's coming next? Silence in heaven. Full of expectation. It's one of those pregnant pauses Wondering what's coming next. Now, there's a reason. Just leave that up there for a bit. Uh, the context here is a scene that begins in chapter 4 of Revelation. And in chapter 4, there's an open door in heaven and an invitation to John, the revealer. Come. There's a scroll then in chapter 5, and it's got writing on both sides, and it's sealed with seven seals. And so there's communication here, but it's rolled up, it's sealed, you can't read it. Or maybe you can just read a little bit on the outside, but you can't read the inside. What is the scroll? Is it the meaning of life? Is it uh, the meaning of history? Is it... What's coming next? Well, there's a good indicator that that's true. But even if we were told what's coming next, would we know what to do with it? And then John weeps because nobody is worthy to open the scroll. But then the message comes, don't weep, don't weep. See the Lion of Judah. Okay, who is that? See the root of David, well, who's that? Seeing one then who is slain like a lamb, he's able. Well, now we know who we're talking about, Jesus. Now he's from the line of David. He is the Lion of Judah, that tribe. 
But the one seal, uh, slain like as if a, a, a lamb that was slain. We know who we're talking about now. And then begins the opening, the, the silence broken. Seven seals are opened. There's a white horse, and then there's a red horse, and then there's a black horse, and then there's a pale horse. And then the fifth seal is the martyrs saying and praying, Lord, how long, how long? I suspect you've all prayed a prayer like that from time to time. Lord, how long? The sixth seal is judgment. And then we get to this pregnant pause. So there's a lot of activity going on, and all of a sudden then this, the seventh seal is opened Chapter 8, silence in heaven for about half an hour. Silence has a lot of power. Uh, any good public speaker, and I don't claim to be one, knows how to use silences to create a uh, sense of anticipation. So silences do that. Silences are meant to communicate something, even though words aren't spoken. If I wanted to create a general panic here in this audience, all I'd have to do is stand up here and say nothing for about five seconds, and some of you would get very nervous. I would too. <laughs> well, that's the power of silence. Proverbs chapter 17, would you put that up there? Um, even fools are thought wise if, and it's a big if, they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongues. It reminds me of the quote that's attributed to Abraham Lincoln. Lincoln, I don't know if it's really his, but it's a good quote. Um, he says, better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Yeah. So stay silent. It's got a good, good uh, meaning to it. There's an old story I um, was told years and years ago by an uncle. He's long since passed. But it's about a man and his wife who are traveling across Montana. Now, has anybody ever done that? Any travelers in Montana? That is a big state, a couple of you. Uh, if you go from the northwest to the southeast or opposite, it's about 800 miles in one state. And a man and his wife are traveling and... Um, they're not getting along very good. They've had a little tiff going on, and there's a lot of silence. And boy, 800 miles is a long ways to have silence. And, and the husband is driving, and as he's driving, he's getting a little more ticked off by the moment and by the mile. And when he can contain it no longer, well, he sees a little uh, herd of donkeys out in the field. And he says, now don't do this, folks. Men, don't do this. But he says, is that part of your family out there? <laughs> and she had the greatest comeback. Yes, by marriage. <laughs> well, out of silence came a good joke. Zechariah in Luke chapter 1 is a story of silence. So this is usually a scripture that gets uh, read in the context of Advent, leading up to Christmas. So here's Zechariah, the priest. He's on duty in the temple. And there in the temple, he's going about his work. He's doing the Lord's work, for crying out loud. But he has a vision. 
He sees an angel. The angel's name is Gabriel. He's gripped, it says, with fear. The angel says, Gabriel says, don't be afraid. Your prayers have been answered, Zechariah. You and your wife are going to give birth to a son, and you're going to give him the name John. And he will be great. Oh, wouldn't every parent want to hear that when you discover you're pregnant and expecting? He's going to be great. And he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he's going to be a reformer, a reviver, a renewer of the people of Israel, the children of Israel, to bring many back to the Lord, to make ready a people prepared for God. That's a great message. Zechariah is not too, well, I hate to say this about a biblical character, is not too bright. Zechariah says, in response to this beautiful, powerful message, how can I be sure of this? Now, there's probably a reason he says that. He's an old man. Well past the expectation that they would be having a family. And so it's a source of great disappointment. So I guess I understand why the question comes. How can I be sure of this? Except that when God speaks, listen. And Gabriel rebukes him. I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, Zechariah, and I've been sent to give you this message, but now you will be silent until these things come to pass. Presumably, he cannot speak for nine months. Um, most of us can't get by nine minutes. And if I were to stop talking, I couldn't get by with nine seconds. We are filled with all sorts of messages and voices all day long. And Gabriel has sent the message of rebuke. Well, finally the birth happens. And on the eighth day, Zechariah is still not talking. Mute. On the eighth day, then, it's time to circumcise the baby, and it's time to give him his name. And so friends and family are they there. What's his name? And uh, his wife, Elizabeth, says, well, his name's going to be John. And the relatives object. No, that's not right. That's not part of your family's name history. Uh, they look at Zechariah. They make signs to Zechariah. What's his name? Surely not John. He asks for a writing tablet. And he writes, his name is John. And then suddenly and immediately, his speech returns. His voice comes back. Nine months of silence. I want to suggest to you, I don't know if there's a space for you to take notes, but if there is, silence is the space for God's grace to do its work. Silence is the space for God's grace to do its work. Do you remember this story of Jesus with the woman suddenly brought before him, caught in adultery, and the accusation that goes with it, and then Jesus, what are you going to do about it? You know what the law says, she needs to be stoned. 
What are you going to do about it, Jesus? It's a trap. And Jesus stays silent. Doesn't say a word. And as the demands grow, he finally bends down and begins to write in the dirt. We don't know what's written there. Silent. And then finally he stands. Whoever is among you without sin, let that one cast the first stone. Now I think the space for grace, God's grace, to do its work is right there. In silence, Jesus wants everybody's attention. He wants the woman's attention, of course. She's been caught. But he wants the accuser's attention also. And Jesus wants to save both parties. And out of that silence, that pause, that waiting, comes this tremendous message. You know, if you think you're such a hotshot, such a perfect person, go ahead, you cast the first stone, you who are without sin. And they slowly begin to drop their stones and walk away. Jesus is trying to save the accusers as well as the accused. Silence is the method. In silence, we are given space to think. Zechariah had nine months to say, boy, I blew that one. And what should I have said, what would I have said if I could do it over again? He's forced to remember, he's forced to rehearse how he might say it right next time. He's forced to pray because everything is inside now. He can't speak. He needs to restore his faith. And he's forced for nine months to watch his wife growing in pregnancy, to watch and to wait and to witness to the glory of God. And when that waiting is over, he unleashes a prayer and a praise that is amazing. We're going to read it in just a bit. But there in silence, we take on a new perspective. We take on a new method of dealing with uh, our problems and God's grace. Zechariah is given a whole new vision. Well, it took a silence of him for nine months for God to get his attention. But with it comes a whole new vision of what God is doing and what he is supposed to be doing as a part of God's plan. How does God get your attention? I want you to think about that. Maybe you know exactly how he got your attention. But if you're just kind of drifting along without any real direction, you might ask yourself, okay, what are the events of my life that are telling me something that God wants me to know and to hear? Nine months to understand and to consider and to let his life be transformed. Today, I want you to have that kind of vision, to see what God is doing in your life and in the world around us. 
I want you to contrast, and for me too, the short-sightedness that we generally operate with. When I pick up the Bible and I need to preach a sermon, teach a lesson, do whatever, often pick out a verse or maybe a story or maybe a parable and run with it. I want you to see the great big vision that God has in mind. Because this is a story and a vision that begins in Genesis and will not end until the end of Revelation with a new heaven and a new earth. It's a beginning, it is an ending, and it's a huge story. I brought my my big fat Bible up here. 1,600 pages of scripture text in here. And you know, you say to yourself, how do I connect the dots? How do I make sense of this? It's so, so big. Well, that's what for nine months... Zechariah was rehearsing in his inner silent world. If you're still taking notes, but if not, remember it mentally. The Bible, I'm going to give you a definition, is God's rescue plan for the whole world, beginning to end. The Bible is God's rescue plan for the whole world, including you and me including the kind of events Tina was talking about. It is into this world that we discover that we've all fallen into some serious problems, some real darkness where death often, well, nobody left to ourselves gets out of this thing alive, do they? No. Despair and doubts, a loss of meaning, hopelessness abound, suicide rates keep seem to rising year by year. So many accept a way of life that is not full of meaning and purpose and hope. And so we live with poor substitutes. We live with this kind of a eat, drink, and be merry for who knows what tomorrow brings, but whatever. Or we pursue selfish goals, money, sex, or power. Without faith, without hope, without a sense of where we're going, we're just drifting. If there's a word that describes our culture, we're just drifting. Hoping we got enough money to make it feel good like we can do our own thing. Now, if you knew that there was a plan underway for God to give love and purpose and meaning to this world and to you also, wouldn't you want to sit up and pay attention? Well, that's what the Bible's trying to get you to do. Or maybe you would be like Zechariah, well, who knows? There's all sorts of religions, there's all sorts of teachings, there's all sorts of Bibles or equivalents. But Zechariah was put on the spot. Zechariah, how can I be sure of this? Well, now just shut up and watch. And for nine months, he's given a purpose Luke 1 is a revelation of God. Do you know that the Bible is absolutely silent as far as a word from God for 400 years from the last prophet of the Old Testament until the coming of John the Baptist in Luke chapter 1? 400 years. I don't understand that. Multiple generations come and go. God's word is silent. But it ends... Malachi does with this word. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day that the Lord comes. Elijah. 
the greatest perhaps of the Old Testament prophets. Who's up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus, Moses, and Elijah? So when John's speech is restored, he's no longer asleep at the wheel. So we're going to project a bunch of verses as we bring things to conclusion here today from Luke chapter 1. After John's voice is restored, he begins this kind of faithful, fulfilling prayer and testimony. Filled with the Holy Spirit, he prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. Now, see the highlighted verse up there. Redeemed. God's rescue plan. Nine months he's been thinking about this. What am I doing? Am I just going through the motions at the temple? He's come and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation. Verse 69. A horn always in the Bible is a, is a symbol of power. He's raised up a horn of salvation. Salvation from our enemies through his holy prophets. To show mercy. Oh, goodness gracious, do we need mercy. The world is under judgment. We are under judgment. God in his mercy says, here's the way out. To remember his holy covenant in verse 72. What's the covenant? It's with Abraham. Abraham, I'm going to bless you and I am going to bless the whole world through you. God's rescue plan unfolding. He, in, in verse 74, to rescue us from the land, hand of our enemies. Go down to verse 76. And you, my child, talking about John, will be a, called a prophet of the Most High, and you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. Preparing, again, the rescue plan is unfolding. God, Abraham, Moses, David, all the prophets, now Zechariah, now John. But don't miss it, now you and me. We're all a part of this. And we take up our roles in God's purposes and God's plan. Verse 77, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins. Because by the, of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun, in other words, into this world of darkness comes the light. The rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. In your bulletin is a little quip from Mother Teresa. Begins with silence. It builds and ends with peace. Salvation is not God's solo work, where we just are spectators. Salvation is God's plan, and he's putting it into action through the prophets and through you and me, cooperative believers in every generation. Here's my request of you before I conclude with prayer. Would you carve out of your day, every day, a moment of silence. Now, maybe you do it right away in the morning. Maybe you do it the last thing at night. It doesn't matter to me. It, it ought to be enough time. You know, I hear people say, well, I don't, I never hear from God. I read the Bible. I don't know. 
if you will be silent for 10 minutes, let's say, every day, let his word come through in the silence, just like John or Zechariah would have done. Let that word speak of God's rescue plan. Here's what he's doing. And ask God how you can do your part to renew your faith, to encourage others around you, to teach your children about God's purposes and plans, and to get on board with what God is doing. If you will do that, I think I can give as good a guarantee as anything I, I can imagine. God will speak to you. Let's pray. Lord, speak to us this morning. You spoke to Zechariah in a very strange way. You speak to all of us in unique ways, especially tailored to each of us. Lord, you're about the business of saving the whole world. Black, white, male, female, rich, poor, Muslim, Christian, atheist. You are in the business of saving everybody and you're recruiting us to get on board with you. Lord, we want to be cooperating with your purposes to do your will. Lord, today we want to institute kind of a daily routine of silence, your word spoken into the silence, and then for us to understand your purpose, your call, your mission for each and every one of us. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.